Since Jair Bolsonaro took office, international scrutiny on Amazon deforestation has risen. Increasing numbers of felled trees have seen his administration being called out by both the Brazilian and international press. On August 13th, the Brazilian embassy in London was vandalized by environmental activists demanding that the country changes its approach to climate change. Unlike Bolsonaro's actions on other fronts, his laissez-faire environmental policy could have irreversible consequences, not only for Brazil, but for the entire world. And one Harvard professor believes that it is only a matter of time until major powers try to stop climate change by any means necessary. That could include, in a not-so-distant future, economic sanctions or even military operations. Is that scenario too far-fetched? That's what we'll talk about this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Marta Castro, welcome to our show. Hi, Gustavo. You have reported on the Amazon for the Brazilian Report, so what's going on in the rainforest? Well, since the beginning of the year, deforestation rates have skyrocketed, according to official data. In July 2019 alone, the Amazon lost roughly 2,000 square kilometers of forest coverage. For the sake of comparison, the highest rate last year was in September, when only a third of that was lost. That's huge, but the government disputes that claim, doesn't it? Yes, which is curious, because the data comes from official sources, meaning the government itself. But President Bolsonaro and his environment minister, Ricardo Salles, have said that there are problems with the data, but they didn't specify exactly what those problems were. Plus, they have claimed monitoring agencies have been used to politically harm Bolsonaro. The public feud ended up with the head of the National Institute for Space Research, which monitors forest destruction through satellite imagery, being fired. And how did he respond to the government's claims? Oh, he was furious. Ricardo Galvão, his name, called President Bolsonaro a coward and said his numbers are based on science, not the gibberish the government likes to use. Ouch. But uh, is there any grounds to the government's questioning of the data's reliability? Well, in fairness, the official data is released once a year. Here we are talking about monthly alerts, which are less accurate. However, even if deforestation in July 2019 was not exactly what the alert says, it is unimaginable that the data went from 66 square kilometers in December 2018 to 2,000 square kilometers now, based on only an error. I mean, the trend is there. And the president seems to be led by a belief that this laissez-faire stance will benefit the economy, making the agricultural sector more profitable and enabling growth. But we are already seeing the negative consequences of deforestation, aren't we? Yes, without a question. It has altered rain cycles across the country. In some places, it is raining more than it should. In others, it's not raining enough. Between 2012 and 2017, Brazil's northeast experienced its longest, most intense and widespread drought since the 80s. Between 2011 and 2015, the federal government decreed a state of public calamity over 6,000 times in the region's municipalities as a direct result of the droughts. 
What about other regions? Well, states such as Mato Grosso, Mato Grosso do Sul, São Paulo, or Acre have also suffered from droughts. And that could severely affect crops, especially coffee and sugarcane, of which Brazil is one of the world's largest producers. Bolsonaro has been a climate change denier, but rising temperatures have a considerable influence on food prices. As a recent study by the Brazilian Central Bank showed, so can you uh, expand on that, please? In the first three months of 2019, food inflation has risen 4.34%, above the average variation for the period in the past two decades. Experts calculate that one-third of that is related to an excess of rain. And is it still possible to revert these consequences of deforestation? It still is, but maybe not for long. Scientists who study the Amazon have said that if 40% of its coverage is lost, the rest will not sustain itself, and it could turn into something similar to a savanna instead of a tropical rainforest. And how much have we already lost? 20% and counting. The estimated deforestation rate right now is of one football pitch per minute. Per minute? Yeah, per minute. But... There are projects in place to try recover the rainforest. So uh, how are they getting on? That's another alarming part. So in 2008, the so-called Amazon Fund was created to finance projects to reforest some areas and also some projects that would help agricultural producers become more efficient, thus reducing their need for more land. The fund has already raised 3 billion reais, most of it from Norway and Germany, but the fund has approved no new projects this year. Essentially, 350 million reais are just sitting there with over 50 projects waiting for the government's approval. This fund has put the Brazilian government at odds with Norway and Germany, right? Yeah. Um, recently, the German government announced it will suspend 35 million euros that would be destined to Amazon protection, as it doesn't agree with Brazil's current environmental policy. Let me guess, the Jair Bolsonaro government did not respond well. Oh, not at all. The president and his allies said that Brazil doesn't need the money, that these recent pressures are just a way to hamper the recent trade deal between Mercosur and the European Union, and that the money was actually part of a plot from world superpowers to steal the Amazon away from Brazil. More on that after the break. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ewan Marshall, editor of The Brazilian Report. I want to invite you to subscribe to our brand new sports newsletter. Every Monday morning, we talk about all things Brazilian sports. And it's not only about football. We cover other sports, as well as plenty of behind-the-scenes political stuff, cultural aspects, and the business side of sports. Our sports newsletter goes beyond the scores. And it's free. So just go to brazilian.report and you can get it in your inbox. In the 1970s, the dictatorial government of Emilio Garrastazu Medici vented the idea that global powers wanted to steal the Amazon from Brazil. This was used to justify policies to force the integration of indigenous peoples into the rest of Brazil's society. The spheres, which come and go from time to time, resurfaced last week, after Harvard professor Stephen M. Walt published an article on Foreign Policy magazine with the explosive title Who Will Invade Brazil to Save the Amazon? 
The piece pondered what could happen if international superpowers decide that they must do something to prevent climate change by any means necessary. And that included possible economic sanctions or even a joint military effort against Brazil. The world of social media went bananas, with many Brazilian observers saying the article defended an invasion of Brazil. Well, it didn't. And the editors at Foreign Policy have since decided to tone down the title they had chosen to, quote, Who will save the Amazon and how? End quote. We reached out to Professor Walt to talk about his piece. Professor, thanks for talking to us. My first question to you is, what pushed you to write this article? Uh, this was actually just something I began thinking about. I was not aware of any sustained international efforts at, at this point. You know, I'd read the article in The Economist uh, about what was going on in Brazil, uh, but I was not so much interested in singling out Brazil as uh, raising the whole question of how the international community is going to deal with the problem of climate change and the fact that different countries have different responsibilities for causing the problem, but also for addressing it now. Bolsonaro is not the only Brazilian president to say that developed countries don't have the moral high ground to call out Brazil on deforestation matters. Former President Lula also did that. Yeah. Uh, well, let me make a couple of points. I mean, first of all, uh, Lula is correct that uh, developed countries, including the United States, bear much greater responsibility for the effect that human beings have had on, on climate change. Uh, and as I pointed out in my article, you know, China and the United States are the two largest emitters of greenhouse gases now. So uh, the United States clearly uh, has a real responsibility there. And I also pointed out that one of the unfortunate situations is the countries that are most responsible for this problem are also the ones that it's hardest to put any pressure on because they are major powers. They're uh, very powerful for one reason or another. Um, that's not to say that other countries, including Brazil, but not exclusively uh, Brazil, have uh, other responsibilities or a uh, role to play in addressing this problem. Um, my, my sense of Brazil's past policies is that uh, at times they have uh, tried to act in a rather responsible uh, way. For example, Brazil had been deploying its own security forces in parts of the Amazon to try and stop illegal deforestation, uh, including deforestation that was originating from outside Brazil and some of Brazil's neighbors. I don't know if those policies are continuing under President Bolsonaro. Um, uh, I just don't know if that's uh, still going on. Um, but uh, I do think there's some reason for concern given his pledge to accelerate uh, development in parts of uh, the Amazon and also uh, his apparent disinterest in the scientific views on what the negative consequences for that might be. If developed nations play an even bigger role in climate change-inducing actions, how legitimate would a move against Brazil be? Well, one of the points I made is that, you know, again, if we're talking about this sort of hypothetically, uh, I can imagine reasons why it would be very difficult to put together any kind of international uh, campaign. Uh, among other things, in order for it to have any real legitimacy, it would have to be 
authorized by the UN Security Council, and several of the permanent members of the Security Council, including China, Russia, probably the United States, might well veto uh, such an initiative because they wouldn't like the precedent. They wouldn't like to establish the idea of the international community uh, putting pressure on one particular country. I, I think also, uh, and I mentioned this in the original article as well, that any attempt to put pressure on another country uh, almost inevitably triggers a sort of nationalist backlash. Uh, local populations resent being told what to do because there's this very powerful belief that you know, individual countries should be allowed to do uh, whatever they want within their country. Uh, in their own country. Ever since I can remember, there's a theory that world superpowers want to snatch the Amazon away from Brazil. And for people who only read the title of your article, that has certainly struck a chord. How was the reaction from here? Well, it was, it was a little bit disturbing. I think they misunderstood the point I was making. Um, I think, uh, as I said in the article, one reason threatening the use of force is so problematic is because it does sort of trigger these nationalist reactions. Uh, and that makes it even worse if there are uh, crazy conspiracy theories already circulating about some international uh, you know, conspiracy or, or campaign. Uh, people in Brazil who thought I was uh, Uh, thought incorrectly that I was recommending that we do something uh, like threatening the use of force, which I quite explicitly said I did not support. Uh, but in any case, if the problem of climate change is really as serious as many people now believe, I do think the potential for this sort of thing happening is going to go up in the future. If one country, and really doesn't matter what any or Uh, some set of countries are doing things that really threaten the entire planet, then I think one can expect the rest of the international community to try and come up with some policy response to get them to stop. You mentioned that the current international system is centered around the idea of state sovereignty. So when would intervention be legitimate or even necessary? Well, the concept of sovereignty uh, in its modern form really goes back to sort of the 17th century, uh, the end of the 30 years war. And it's the basic idea that each state is sovereign within its own territory. Each government is allowed with some limits uh, to enact whatever policies it wants to inside it, its own territory. Now, that's been uh, compromised or relaxed uh, a fair bit over the last couple of hundred years. Uh, for example, uh, when uh, countries put pressure on others over human rights policy, that's in a way saying, look, yes, you're sovereign, but there's certain things you shouldn't be uh, uh, able to do to your own populations, uh, things like that. And the, another exception to it, of course, is if a country is doing something inside its own territory that has negative effects, harmful effects outside. So one good example would be acid rain, right? If industrial production in one country creates pollutants that then drift across the border to another country, uh, that other country can seek some kind of compensation or redress. Uh, a similar principle is if uh, you dam a river Uh, upstream uh, and the country downstream depends upon that river flowing, uh, they 
may be able to you know, bring protest and put pressure to try and reverse that. So the idea of sovereignty is not an absolute guarantee that you can do whatever you want, but it is a very powerful norm, and it's a barrier to other countries interfering in another country's domestic politics. Um, and I think it's you know, one that, that is as it's an important norm that one has to respect even though there may be some situations where it no longer applies or where it has to be relaxed. I'd like to compare the destruction of the Amazon and the problems generated by that with the humanitarian crisis in Venezuela. Some players defend intervention, some want no business there. Uh, how would you compare a climate change-motivated intervention and intervention on humanitarian grounds? Because... The Venezuelan crisis has had its effect on other countries, uh, with migration waves flowing to countries such as Brazil or, in particular, Colombia. It's a, it's a great question, and it's a, a fascinating comparison. So I'm sort of going to be thinking out loud here. But it seems to me there's a couple of important distinctions you'd want to make. Uh, one is a situation that's sort of a purely humanitarian intervention where what's happening inside a country, say what's happening inside Venezuela, uh, was very bad for the people of Venezuela, but wasn't having an impact outside of Venezuela. And then the question is simply whether other powers outside would feel compelled to intervene for humanitarian reasons purely to help the Venezuelan people. That to me is somewhat different than a situation where something is happening inside Venezuela that is also having consequences for neighboring countries, which I think is the situation now. There, it's not just that countries are intervening for purely humanitarian reasons, but also because it's in some respects in their interests too. They're protecting their own interests against uh, refugee flows, the costs that that's imposing upon them, the potential harm that they may see uh, down the road if the situation in Venezuela continues to deteriorate. And it seems to me that situation is a little bit similar to the situation where if a country allowed uh, policies inside its own territory to uh, cause environmental damage that then affected country, you know, didn't just affect that, that one country, but also affected lots of other countries. And I think the issue of climate change is, is the most central one, because you can really imagine it affecting essentially the entire planet. And different countries around the world have played a different role in creating the problem, but also have different roles to play in trying to address it now. Your article starts with a hypothetical scenario in which the current governor of California wins the presidency in 2024. Right now we have a White House and the Republican Party as a whole, which has not treated climate change as a true issue. How do you see the United States' role in this conversation? Well, unfortunately, you are correct. Under the Trump administration, uh, you know, there's been some degree of uh, climate change denialism, sort of pretending it's not happening or pretending that human beings have nothing to do with it, uh, and some efforts made to limit uh, its impact uh, on our policies. I think these are, uh, you know, a, a huge mistake on America's part, and I think other countries around the world should be making it clear over and over to the United States that they think uh, we're in the wrong here. 
Um, so in that sense, I'm certainly not going to try and defend what the uh, current U.S. administration has been doing. Um, the main point I wanted to try and raise throughout the, the piece was just that this is a, uh, you know, in some respects, climate change may be the single biggest political challenge that the international system faces, given that we have a world of separate independent states that most of the time are free to do their own business, uh, run their own countries as, as they wish, yet we are facing a common collective global problem that could affect really every country, and one where different countries have both a different capacity to help address it, but also some of them are more vulnerable to pressure than others. And that makes it even more complicated to try and work through it. Um, I actually hope that the international community will collectively start devising solutions that work. And there have been efforts made to do that, obviously, uh, in the past, such as the Polaris uh, Climate Accord, which I'm sorry to say the United States has said it's no longer going to participate in or abide by. But I think if we don't have a better collective global response to this problem, then the danger of the kinds of conflicts that I talk about hypothetically in my piece, the danger of those things actually becoming real is going to go up in the decades ahead. Professor, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking with you. This podcast was written, prepared, and produced by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining in Brazil. It takes a second, but it is really important for us. And make sure to visit our website, brazilian.report, and enjoy our free trial for seven days. And it's really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also support independent journalism by donating any amount to the Brazilian Report. Go to brazilian.report slash donate. If you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week.